through Genesis, looking at the families and noticing some of their dynamics and things we can learn from them. We've come to Genesis chapter 24 and the marriage between Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac's mother, Sarah, had recently passed away. Abraham realizes that it's time for his son to marry, so he makes arrangements for that. If you were in Bible class, you talked your way through this story, hopefully, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in a moment. But we're going to pick the story up as Rebecca, the woman that has been chosen now to be Isaac's wife, is about to leave home and to travel with the servant of Isaac and Abraham to go and meet her future husband. Let's be standing, please, as we read this, the Word of God. Then we'll sing a song I think we really enjoy. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Be'er Lahai and he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. May God bless the reading of his word. Someone pointed out to me the other day that I always start my sermon on that side of the pulpit. And I thought, well, you know, maybe they're feeling left out. And then I remembered that person sits on that side of the pulpit. So I didn't know how to take that, but we'll start over here today. Those of you who have been in church a long time know that uh, sermons used to have a certain form that uh, to be a good sermon you had to follow. We always made a little bit of joke about it that it was always three points and a poem. You would make three points in your sermon and then to bring it all together and add that little emotional punch to it, you would read a poem at the end. Well, today we're not going to do that, but we are going to tell three stories and then we're going to bring it all together with a very special scripture. The first story we want to look at is one that if you like musicals, uh, you are well familiar with, especially if you like the musical Fiddler on the Roof. This is a story of Tevya and Golda who have been married about 25 years. They have their children, their children are growing up, and now their daughters are beginning to be married off. And the scene that I want us to think about comes after Tevya has just told his wife Golda that he has promised one of their daughters in marriage to this young man. And Tevya or Golda reacts as, what? He's poor. He has nothing, absolutely nothing. She's not real pleased. Let's pick up the conversation.
ask her the question. Well, what was that like? I mean, and she said, well, it's just the way we did things. They took me and they said, this is your husband, and we got married. I said, well, what would have happened if you didn't love him? And she said, what do you mean I didn't love him? I loved him because he was my husband. And they said, well, but I don't understand that. You never had seen him before. What if you just someone you didn't love? And she said something that has stayed with me all these years. She said, well, you know, I didn't see my children before they were born. And I love them because they're my children. And I love my husband because he's my husband. Third story. Isaac and Rebecca. And you can see how there's some overlap here because this happened in a time during arranged marriages as well. Sarah, Isaac's mother, had passed away and Abraham realized it was his responsibility, according to their culture, to go out and to find a wife for his now adult son, Isaac. And there were some things he wanted to do. He did not want Isaac marrying a girl from the area they were living in because that wasn't home. The people they lived with were of different culture. The people they lived around had a different faith. They had different family values. And so he wanted to go back to the land where he knew people knew the name of Yahweh, of God, of people that believed in family the same way they believed in family, that shared these same values of life. And so he sends his servant up there to find his son Isaac a wife. Now, that's intriguing to me. I, I just would have loved to have gotten to talk to that servant on his way as he's thinking about this awesome responsibility he has. I mean, I don't even know what to buy my kids for Christmas. You know, how, how could I pick out a wife for my kids? Well, he knows that he's going he's to find this woman. So all the way up, he's praying. If you read the scripture, he's, he's praying to God, you're going to have to help me with this. You're going to have to help me find this, this woman to take back so that my master Abraham's son Isaac will have a wife. Well, there he meets Rebecca, and like I said, I hope you were in Bible class and you talked about that and, and know that story and, and how he knew that she was the one that was to be the right one. And so he takes her back, puts her on the camel, and they're riding across the desert, and uh, they finally they get close, and there's Isaac, and he's out in the field just wandering around going, where's my woman, where's my woman? And then he looks up, and he sees the camels coming, and he gets all excited, and he goes running out to the camels, and Rebecca sees him coming, and she gets down off the camel, and she says to the son, who is this? And he says, that's my master. And so she accepts the proposal by covering herself with her veil. That was the way she indicated that she was going to do what she had already agreed to do, was to come and to marry this young man. And so they had quite a religious or quite a wedding ceremony. Isaac took her into his mother's tent, and they were married. And then the story ends with these words. Isaac married Rebekah, and Isaac loved Rebekah. Now that is luck, isn't it? Isn't that just lucky that this servant went and found the one woman that Isaac could love and brought her back 
And then they just saw each other and Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet, you know, the, just, the, the strings just swelled up and they fell in love and they... Is that the way it happened? Well, now, some of that is there because, after all, like we said, Abraham made sure that he found a woman for his son that shared basic core values and their faith was the same. And she was committed not only to God, but she was committed to the ideal and the idea of marriage. So there was some planning there and the foundation was there for this to work. But it was really up to Isaac and Rebekah for it to work. In our world these days, we sometimes ask the question, how can we as Christians be different from the world around us? As we seem to be pulled and drawn, as our culture is changing, what are some ways in which we are called upon as children of God to go counter to our culture and to be different from the world around us? Well, one answer we have to that question is that we do, we have, and we will always value marriage. That we hold marriage up as what God has designed from the very beginning. We talked about this when we started doing our study of Genesis. That marriage is to be valued and prized and respected. And that as children of God, we respect it in so many ways. We recognize it for the covenant that it is between a man and a woman and that they will form a home and become one flesh. We respect it and we know that a man and a woman do not live together intimately as man and woman before they are married as husband and wife. These are just truths that we hold up and we say this is what makes us different. But one more thing that makes us different is the kind of love that at its very basic root underpins a marriage. For in our culture, that love is kind of loosely defined and it boils down often to chemistry and to things that really can't be explained. But the kind of love on which we base every relationship, and particularly this, our most important relationship, is the kind of love that Jesus commanded us to have. Now, right there, that's interesting. Because, you know, that means, lets us know that the kind of love that makes marriage actually work in the long run is not a feeling kind of love, It's the kind of love that you can decide to have. Because how fair would it be if we heard Jesus saying, here's how you've got to feel. We know that you can't tell someone how to feel. It's difficult to even get someone to think in a certain way. But of all the things that compose who we are, our feelings, our thoughts, our actions, The one thing that we have the most control over is what we do and how we act and how we choose to treat other people. 
And Jesus said, what you are to do in all of your relationships is to treat other people with love, to be concerned about them, to do what they need to be done in order to minister to them. And most of all, most of all, you do that to the one you have promised to love. Now, I know we don't arrange marriages in our culture. We let people make up their own minds who they want to marry. But I do a lot of wedding ceremonies. And in those ceremonies, at some point or another, I rarely ever ask, do you two guys love each other? That's not the issue. What I ask is, do you promise to love each other? Will you choose to love each other? Do you decide that this is going to work because each of you has decided that you will treat one another with love? Feelings are good and thoughts are wonderful, but they're based on how we choose to live and what we choose to do. And the very elemental basis of that is that we choose in whatever circumstances we are in to love And primarily, to love our mate and our spouse. Now, I promised you a scripture, and we're almost out of time, so let's turn to that. The scripture I want to look at is one that you're probably already ahead of me in, Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read the part about husbands, but if we back up to the wives part, it's applying to wives too. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus decided to love us? Isn't it wonderful that we, we, he, we are just so lovable that he couldn't help himself? He just had to love us. No. Even though we're cantankerous and even though we let him down, he chose to love us and to express the kind of love toward us that he's now expressing us guys to have for our wives. He goes on to say, in order to make her holy by cleansing her and washing of water by the word. Now, my wife is here this time, uh, so I have to be careful how I say this. And she didn't hear me say it at first. But you know, sometimes when you marry someone, you'd sort of like for them to change some things. Has that ever happened to anyone else? Okay. And we have some kind of ways we do that. You know, we can just drop little hints, we can withhold our approval, we can play little games, we can throw out criticisms, we can yell and scream. Well, Jesus married us and chose to love us, and he set out to change us by loving us completely, by giving himself so completely to us in love that we respond to him in kind. So you guys, if you still got that list of things that you'd like to see different about your wife, just love them, love them, love them. Moving on. To present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's the commitment, it's there. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it just as Christ does for his church and because we are members of his body. For this reason, what reason? 
For the reason that you have chosen that you will love this woman. Because you are mature enough and committed enough and wise enough to be able to make a choice that you will love a woman. For that reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, like I said, if we back up, he, he says basically the same thing to the women. He uses the word submit and submission. And all. But if you want to turn to Titus chapter 2, he lays it out there in even a, a clearer way. He says, likewise, tell the older women to be reverent in behavior and so forth. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands. It's something we can learn. It's something that we must learn. It's the commitment that we make. It is the reason that we can hold up marriage as the ideal and one that can endure the ravages of time and the events of life because we love our spouse first and foremost with the kind of love that Jesus told us to have. Let us uh, close with some blessings. I want to bless our young people here who have never yet married. May God bless you with wisdom and insight and knowledge of what the very basic truth of love is, that it is a giving of yourself. It is something that you can decide to do. It is the way that you treat other people. And may he bless you with finding that person that, yes, your heart is drawn to, but so also that you make this commitment that for the rest of your life you will treat that person with love. I want to offer a blessing to those of you who have experienced a lack of love in your life. Perhaps you who have suffered through failed marriages because either you or your spouse did not understand love. May God bless you as you continue on in your life, may you find love and learn love. And may God bless you with those opportunities to be around others that you can express that love to. And if you are so blessed as to find another person to share your life with, may love abound in your relationship. And to the rest of us who are married, May God bless us with the ability to continue learning, to continue learning what love truly is, to continue practicing love so that we can grow to be the people he wants us to be. For so many of us can confess when we've been younger and even recently, we have yet to learn to treat our spouses totally with the kind of love that God wants us to. May he bless us with the will and the desire to do that. Isaac loved Rebecca. May you love your mate. Let's stand and sing.